But why some say the moon? Why choose this as our goal? And they may well ask, why climb the highest mountain? Why 35 years ago fly the Atlantic? Why does Rice play Texas? We choose to go to the moon. We choose to go to the moon. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other things, not because they are easy, but because they are hard. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. The era of big government is over. President Review, a podcast review of all 45 presidents from Washington to Trump. New episodes every Friday on Anchor, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. Politics Weekly. I'm your host, Nolan Cleary. Politics Weekly is a podcast on politics, news, and principles. We'll talk about the Iran Omar controversy. We'll also talk about Congress condemning Donald Trump's national emergency declaration. We'll also talk to presidential candidate Ian Schlockman. Nolan, can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you. Can you hear me? Yes, I can. All right. Well, uh, ready to get started? Uh, sure. Yeah, go ahead. All right. Welcome back to Politics Weekly. So much, uh, there's been a lot of talk uh, recently about the presidential election. A lot of people talking about Trump. A lot of people talking about all the Democrats running. But don't forget about the candidates down the ballot. Uh, Don't forget about people like the Libertarians and the Green Party. And one of the candidates seeking uh, the Green Party nomination uh, joins me today, Ian Schlockman, 
uh, was uh, the chair uh, of the uh, uh, Maryland Green Party. Um, he also ran for public office a few times before. Now um, he is hoping uh, to be uh, America's uh, 45th president. And with uh, Jill Stein announcing she's not going to run for a third time, he may just be the Green Party's choice uh, for president in 2020. Uh, uh, Ian Schlockman, thank you for joining me. Thanks for having me. All right. So before we get into the news, uh, I'd like to ask you a couple of questions. First of all, and most importantly, why do you want to be president? <laughs> well, um, I will say I appreciate the, the, the confidence, but I am I'm running for the Green Party's nomination for president. Uh, I do think I'd be the best candidate uh, of all that's declared so far. And, um, you know, uh, I, I, I am one of those people that's very realistic and very honest about the Green Party's chances of where they should focus. And I don't think that it's realistic that we'll have a Green president in 2020. Uh, you could always see some major scandal rocking both the Democrats and the Republicans. Sure, that might open the pathway for a third party. But as of right now, um, you know, this election's more about getting our message across. All right. Um, now, um... You've said uh, you, you've said that you are a socialist and you, uh, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, in one of your campaign ads for uh, another office uh, or one of your campaign videos for another office, you ran and you actually featured Bernie Sanders uh, in one of them, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and uh, right now, Bernie Sanders is um, uh, pulling in uh, the t- he's, he's amongst the top three Democrats uh, running right now uh, for president. Um, uh, there's a very good chance that you could end up winning the Green Party nomination um, and Bernie Sanders uh, could end up winning the Democratic Party nomination. Do you fear if that happens, uh, you could possibly split the progressive vote or split the socialist vote? Um and uh, cost Bernie Sanders um, the election to Trump? No. Um, let me get into a little bit. You touched on a couple points there. Let me, let me go back a second. So uh, it's really important to know that, yeah, I, I am a socialist. I'm running as a socialist. Um, <clears throat> there's definitely different kinds of socialists, though. And that's something that I hope to demonstrate during this campaign. I think that... Um, uh, Senator Sanders is a fantastic candidate. He's a good guy. Um, but I don't think that his version of socialism is exactly what I'm thinking of when I say socialism. I'm a strict anti-capitalist. I want to uh, do away with capitalism. I think capitalism is the heart of a lot of our issues. And so what other candidates like uh, Senator Sanders are talking about, um, uh, Medicare for all, which is really, really important, uh, taking the profit motive out of the healthcare industry, I'm talking about taking that profit motive out of several industries, um, housing, um, uh, you know, uh, basic necessities of food, basic necessities of shelter, clothing. I think there are a number of different areas where we don't need the profit motive. I think the profit motive actually gets in the way, causes a lot of speculation. And then a lot of, you, you know, we just see a lot of rampant uh, rental increases. You see a lot of homeless people. Uh, you see a lot of uh, automation of technology that all of a sudden people are jobless. They don't have any sort of prospects. 
so I, I'm, a, I'm a bit of a different kind of socialist. And I think that anti-capitalist model is where I differ for a little bit from the, from the Sanders folks. Um, so uh, I do work a lot with the, with the DSA and I know um, uh, uh, Democratic Socialists of America. I know Bernie is a big part of that organization um, <clears throat> or at least they see him as one of them. Um, that, that being said, um, you know, I, the, the DSA is a, a very diverse group of different kinds of socialists. And I think what I bring to the table as a green, uh, an eco-socialist and someone who's a strict anti-capitalist is a little different than what Senator Sanders is proposing. Um, to answer the last part of your question, the answer is absolutely not. There is, I think with me as the Green Party candidate, there is absolutely no chance of me spoiling, uh, quote unquote, the election. Um, uh, if you look at my run for office in uh, against um, uh, Vangelis uh, in uh, 2018, um, you know, what we did, Reverend Chambers, who's a, 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 a former Black Panther, uh, my running mate and myself, is we focused exclusively on areas that were not registered to vote and not voting. So we're talking about public housing projects. We're talking about um, the homeless. We're talking about students. We're talking about new voters. You know, we're trying, there's, uh, the election, uh, the, the, the non-voter rate in this country is extremely high for a first world country. And I think that our goal in the Green Party is to show what the statistics are showing, which is that, you know, there is a call for a third party. There's probably a call for multiple third parties. I think our electoral system is very, very broken. But I don't think we do that by going into the Democratic Party and carving them out. I think the Democratic Party is having an internal fight. I want to stay out of that internal fight. I want to go to voters and say, no party represents me and show them the Green Party's path and get them to join us. So that, that's going to be our fight. That's going to be our uphill battle. Another thing you get with me, if I'm the Democrat, if I'm the Green Party's nominee, is uh, I, I am 100% uh, focused on down ticket candidates. I want to make sure that we see electoral victories where we can get them, local offices and state offices. I don't think you're going to see a presidential win in 2020. Like I said, you know, in a two-party system, there's always the chance of a major party scandal happening to both parties. Uh, but I, I, it's very, very unlikely. And I, I, there's no path to victory for me there. It's more about getting the Green Party on the map growing our base all right um now um i want to talk a little bit about the green new deal which has been in the news for the last couple weeks um right now uh senator uh or the senate majority leader mitch mcconnell has said he is going to hold a vote uh in the united states uh senate um uh about uh regarding uh the green new deal um, and, and it's going to be put up to a vote. Um, do you uh, agree uh, with the Green New Deal as it stands? Um, and do you agree with McConnell holding it up for a vote in the U.S. Senate? Well, um, the resolution that is the Green New Deal as it stands right now in the Congress is a it's a it's a it's, it's just that i mean it's, it's a resolution of some nice ideas uh probably some urgent ideas that need to be funded and put into effect but it's just a it's just a, a statement it's it's not a document that says here's the money we're allocating and here's how we're going to get to work it's not a document that says this is a crisis that we need to tackle um and we're going to start with this piece of legislation it's it's a it's a it's um 
it it just doesn't it just doesn't I don't want to say it doesn't go far enough. That's not the issue with it. What the issue is is that it's the first step, and we really need to be on step twenty by now. I mean, uh, you know, scientists have given us. 12 11 years i think left to actually reverse course um from the uh you know uh, global warming that we're uh, from the uh, you know the climate change that we're seeing in order to avoid catastrophe and i don't see that in this uh non-binding resolution so um uh you know i think this is the best bill that the democrats could put up uh i'm not um you know uh, uh you know i i'm not i I think with me, you get something a little bit different than what you've seen with the Green Party before. And I think if you look back to some of my quotes in the uh, in the New Republic and some 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 articles that followed after that, I'm not here to just sit there and and throw stones to the Democrats all day. I understand that you know they have a really uphill battle. But I will say that if you're not ready to go, if you're in the Democratic Party and you're not um, ready to go to war with the leadership that's stopping you from putting uh, climate change emergency legislation into effect today, then I don't understand why you're a Democrat. I mean, you might as well just join the Green Party and join us on the protest lines outside because you're not really able to affect more change than we are. Uh, so that that's sort of my two cents on it. I, 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 I think we need to call for emergency legislation. If I was president, you know, and that's, that's something we're putting out on our website. You know, there are a lot of different things the president could do immediately. Um, you know, the uh, military industrial complex, the the, the 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 military is a enormous polluter, enormous use of energy, uh, enormous uses enormous amount of energy, and so there are uh, initiatives we could take day one if we did have a president that was really focused on a climate change emergency solution. But I am uh, I'm, I, I'm I'm not seeing that come out of either either major party at the moment, so I'm definitely worried about that. <clears throat> um, if you were asked to tweak the resolution. Uh, in a way you would see fit, uh, what, what, how would you change it? That's a good question. Um, I would, I mean, a couple of different things. I mean, I, I, I would blatantly call out the fact that capitalism is in complete opposition to uh, resolving the climate change emergency. I mean, I, I, you're, you're not going to see a profit motive in fixing climate change. It's, it's just not going to happen. You're going to have to nationalize several industries and you're going to have to um, convert several industries through law to something that's cleaner and more effective and greener. Uh, you're going to have to you know, change the subsidy model from fossil fuels over to green energy. Um, and you're going to have to have a jobs program akin to World War II level, um, uh, uh, you know, uh, um, uh, New Deal style um, uh, 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 ABC programs like you saw with FDR. So, I mean, unless you're, you're ready to, to go in that direction, um, I think that, uh, you know, um, a, a laundry list of nice ideas is um, uh, just, just not, not going far enough. It, it, it's, it's simply just not going far enough. I think that you've you got to start using some language that really inflames people. I, I think that that, that, I think that um, playing nice in Congress and either in either house is it, just not going to, not going to do it. I think you've got to do um, something akin to what uh, Congresswoman uh, Omar did when she blatantly just came out and said, you know, um, uh, uh, you know, uh, there are pro-Israeli lobbies that are causing us to have warped legislation and policy when it comes to Israel. 
I think that something like that, but akin to the Green New Deal, you know, capitalism is never going to be compatible with saving the planet. Blatant language in there, like get people angry, get people upset and get people to start exploring the idea and talking about it on the nightly news. What do you mean? Why is it not compatible? What should we do instead? I mean, right here in Baltimore, we've got a GM plant about to close. I'm just going to close it and shutter it. No workers in the factory. Um, you know, we could be nationalizing that. The government could be taking it over and producing more solar panels, producing more uh, 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 hybrid cars or even uh, um, sol- uh, uh, electric cars. And, you know, we just don't really think that way because we're so used to the capitalist system. So I, I think that's sort of like a front to the system kind of language that we need to put out there. Um, okay. Um uh, now, one issue a lot of people are discussing right now is the issue of gun control. Uh, what is your stance on that issue? Um, I mean, in, in, in general, I'm pro-gun control. Uh, we live in Maryland, which has some uh, pretty strong... Uh, I, I live in Maryland. I live in Baltimore, which has some very, very strong uh, gun control laws on the books. Uh, I, I don't think arming uh, yourself is, a, is the right way to combat a very violent neighborhood or a violent crime. And I've heard that uh, people talk about that a lot, but I, I really don't think that's effective. Uh, I do think that you could look at Baltimore as a really great test case for um, <clears throat> uh, the gun control laws being applied um, with an extreme racial bias. I mean, uh, you know, I, 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 there are, I think if you look at something like the, uh, it might take you back a little bit, but the Oregon takeover uh, of that park by those um, right wingers a couple of years back, you know, I mean, these are armed militia groups all across the country and some areas that have legal rights to own guns and some areas that don't different laws apply in different places, you know, but essentially, you know, it's known that there are militia groups out there, mostly white, arming themselves to the teeth, preparing for the, the racial apocalypse or the Christian apocalypse. And I think that's just, you know, insane when you think about the fact that we're not seeing ATF agents raid those places, but we are seeing ATF agents in Baltimore, you know, raiding uh, the houses of uh, people owning guns in Baltimore city. You know, some of them are gang members. They should have their houses raided, but a lot of that crime is just, you know, a handgun charge and they get locked up for years and years and years in Baltimore city. Um, So I think the, the gun laws are applied with an extreme racial bias um, so I am pro, uh, you know, uh, I am pro stricter gun restrictions, but I do want to make sure that um, that we're seeing a, a, a you know, a, 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 a better path, um, you know, and a more, the more racial sensitivity. Now, um, the Socialist Party uh, actually released the, in their platform in 2008, they put out this statement about gun control. They said, quote, many workers have died at the hands of local police, the army and privately hired goons. Workers and citizens uh, will most likely need access to guns for defense since the wealthy and corporate power can be counted on uh, to use all manner of of violence uh, to prevent any radical or revolutionary change that would mean their overthrow or loss of power and control. Socialists believe in the inalienable right of the exploited and oppressed people uh, to self-defense. Thus, we support uh, the right of all citizens to bear arms. Do you agree or disagree with the statement? Um, I, I I appreciate being asked that because a lot of people don't know that about uh, some traditional socialist groups that they do prefer that. 
but I don't think that's the right path. So I do have to say I disagree with that statement. It's um, it's it's not it's not black and white for me. I think that if you were to try to get into it, uh, speaking from a socialist perspective, I guess if there are other socialists listening to this and they're kind of disagreeing with me. I'll give you my reasons why. I don't think you can enter into an an arms race with um uh, a a a well funded right wing militia or the or a U.S. government or um you know a billionaire. I, I just don't think that's realistic anymore. I mean, billionaires are able to own warplanes and private islands and like you know uh um you know um spacex literally has rockets now i mean you know that's so i mean we're not going to compete with them we're not going to build our own socialist icbms to fight a space war like this is just completely ridiculous the the battle that we have to fight is a, is a protest on the front lines battle and it should not be waged with guns uh i, I you call me naive but um i just don't think that's realistic all right. I want to ask you a question about the Supreme Court, because right now there is a good chance, because recently Ruth Bader Ginsburg uh, has been having a lot of, um, of uh, health issues. Yeah. Um, there is a chance. Now, right now, it seems like she's trying to hold out. Mm-hmm. Um, she, she said she is going to stay on the Supreme Court for a while, but there is a good chance that she might retire in the next two to three years. Um, if you did become president, on the off chance that you did become president, is there anybody in particular you can think of that you would appoint to replace her on the Supreme Court? <laughs> you are the first person to ask me that. Um, <laughs> no, we're not prepared. I'm not. My team is not preparing lists of who we're going to pick for the Supreme Court. Although it's not, it's not a bad idea. Um, there is talk among some Greens to do like a, a shadow government type situation where we could pick some people for high level positions and talk about how we would do things differently. Um, <clears throat> no, I can't say I have anyone in mind at the moment. Um, I would say, though, that there are a lot of good lawyers working within the Green Party. Uh, the top one, I guess, that comes to mind would be Kevin Zeese, um, you know, very well versed on. Um, uh, uh, pot legalization issues, marijuana legalization issues. And I think that's where uh, the Green Party has a very different path than even the Democratic Party um, because, you know, our outlook is that we've got millions of uh, predominantly African-American men in jail because of, uh, you know, horribly written uh, anti-cannabis laws. Um, And, you know, if we were to suddenly overnight, um, as we're doing slowly state by state, reverse course and legalize cannabis, and not make sure that those folks get out of prison, not only that, but have their record clean, and not only that, but get first access to sell it legally, that we're not really going to undo decades of, 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 of racist legislation. So, I mean, that's sort of a, a major difference of the Green Party that I think you could see legally if we ever actually got someone on the Supreme Court. Uh, it's, a, it's a nice notion, though. I'll definitely have to think of something I'll put on my website soon. All right. Um, and my next... My next question. So recently there have been talks uh, about the potential that Howard Schultz, um, uh, the former CEO of Starbucks, potentially uh, launching an independent run for president. Uh, Many Democrats have criticized him uh, and they have said that um, they think that um, that he could play spoiler. He could um, he could. Uh, Lee or his candidacy could 
take away votes from the Democrat and lead uh, to securing a Donald Trump victory in 2020. Um, what are your thoughts on Howard Schultz potentially running, and do you believe the spoiler uh, theory exists? Um, I believe that a candidate could intentionally spoil an election. I do believe that someone could run a race very intentionally targeting some key areas that other parties would need. I think it's possible. Um, I don't think it's been done by the Green Party. I think you've seen the Green Party participate in things like safe states in the past, vote uh, voter exchange, uh, where you're, you're, you're exchanging votes with people in other states that um, you know wouldn't be affected by the uh, by, by a swing state. So I mean, I I, I don't think you've seen that uh, in 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 our party. I can't speak for other parties. Um, you know, I I would never deny someone the right to run for office. I am really big I, I, i'm actually I'm a socialist but i'm also an entrepreneur and this makes me you know, this makes me a little bit of an odd duck but i really believe that we need to be as innovative as, po- as possible in our politics and our economics so i think if, if people want to run as independents or third parties obviously i'm 100 percent for it and i would never take away their right to do so uh th- that being said i think the howard schultz issue is uh just just shows you how weak our democracy is uh, I think that it's sort of ridiculous that the Democratic Party would, uh, on the one hand, get upset with very left-leaning members like Congresswoman Cortez or Congresswoman Omar, and the next breath get really upset about, you know, um, uh, someone like Howard Schultz saying they would run in case someone like Bernie Sanders won the nomination because he feels that, you know, most people aren't going to go for that because Bernie is a, is, a, is a socialist of sorts. So, I mean, uh, I, I think that you can't... Trying to hold out to be for to appeal to moderates and the people who are socialists just doesn't make any sense. It, it's not a that that that's a political party that should probably be two different political parties. I think in almost any other mature democracy, you would have two different distinct political parties: one that's moderate, uh, maybe moderate left, and one that's a clear socialist party or a social democratic party. Uh, and I think it's a big weakness of the U.S. system that we just have two major parties. Like I like I, I keep making this point over and over and over again. You know in 2016, we had a scandal that, you know, painted, painted a big black eye on the Democratic Party in total and its candidate Hillary Clinton, uh, uh, Secretary Clinton. And I think that, you know, what if there were two leaks this time, you know, one for the Republicans and one for the Democrats, and people just stayed home on Election Day and a fringe minority of people elected someone. I mean, this is really not, a, a, you know, something that is coming out of science fiction, it's something that's actually happening nowadays with election hacking and stuff like that. And so a robust multi-party system, many different parties, many different theories, many different political ideologies that then have to, you know, pull together a coalition government if there's no clear majority is what we need to move to. And I don't think any party, I don't think any major party, Democrat or Republican, is interested in that. They want to control all the votes. They want to see themselves as the only party in power. I mean, it's, it's sort of disgusting to me. I can't imagine being in a party that wants to control all, all branches of government. It's just... Uh, it's, it's, it's too dictatorial. I, I, I'm not, I, 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 I'm, I'm always be against that. So I'm not, I'm not, um, you know, uh, I, I don't think the greens have ever gone that route with an intentional spoiler. Certainly not going to happen with this campaign. We're very focused on growing the party amongst non-voters. Uh, and, um, you know, uh, I, I, but I, but I, I really think that our democracy needs big reforms. It's to run off voting for force representation. I can go on and on about that. All right. 
Uh, one more question before we get into the news uh, regarding education. Um, do you support uh, letting private schools exist, uh, or do you believe all schools should be public? You see, this is a great question because um, I, uh, if if we, it, so I'm I'm an I'm I'm a I'm a I'm an anti-capitalist. Uh, you know, I think that schools are one of those things where they uh, public schools uh, are not run for profit; they're run by the government. But they still have to participate in the capitalist system, so they're still constantly competing for resources. And you look at Maryland, and it's a grossly unequal state because you've got like uh, rich counties, like Howard County, right next to um, poor count. Well, you know, uh, relatively poor counties compared to like Baltimore City, and the schools are so wildly different, so unbelievably unequal. It's insane. And then people get desperate, and they have to go to a private school system because you're not going to put their kids in a public school if they can at all afford a private school system. And then there's tiers of private schools. So, you know, I mean, it's a, it's, a, it's a long way to answer your question. I don't think that question would even be relevant if it would entertain a non-capitalist agenda. You know, living in the current economy that we're in, I strongly prefer public schools to private schools. Uh, and I'm definitely not a fan of charter schools at all. Um, I've seen a lot of charter schools fail over and over and over again. And they, you know, uh, I think some of those states where people say, oh, you know, charter schools are, are a great alternative. They're just using a charter school example of a one to two year time frame. They're not looking at the lifetime of a charter school, 10, 20 years and watching it eventually fail like a public school. So, I mean, I, the whole system just needs to be revised from the ground up. We need as much funding as possible. We need, we need reasonable funding for the buildings that the kids go to. We don't have that in Baltimore City. We don't have that in Maryland. You know, if a building is underfunded, then the building crumbles and the whole neighborhood around it crumbles. It's a complete shame. And then on top of that, we need to make sure that every pupil has enough funding to get through their personal education. Uh, I was just talking to my friend, Reverend Chambers, who is my running mate back in 2016, and she's a former Black Panther. And one of the things she had to do with her dyslexic children way back in 1970 was sue the Baltimore City School Board because they wouldn't provide uh, uh, dyslexia programs for her kids. And the school board said to her, well, we can't afford to give your kids dyslexia training, you know, to how to overcome it. And then she said, that's not my problem. My kids are legally entitled to an education. They need to get an education. They can't learn if they have dyslexia. You have to do something about it. And that right there is the difference between a capitalist and an anti-capitalist. I'm anti-capitalist because I believe every single kid has a right to education, no matter how expensive it may be. We've got to overcome this constant hurdle of, well, we can't afford that. Well, if you can't afford it, then you're going to see neighborhoods like those in Baltimore City continue to decline for generations. All right. Um, so why don't we move on to the news then, uh, starting this week with uh, uh, a resolution that was passed uh, in Congress to try and combat hate speech. Um, so a new uh, resolution uh, is being voted on in the U.S., or I think was passed in the U.S. House of Representatives to try and uh, condemn hate speech. It was initially uh, in response to Alain Omar, um, her comments on Israel, which um, uh, got polarized uh, reaction. Um, Republicans um, didn't believe the bill went far enough. Some people were criticizing the existence of the bill in general, and some people supported the bill as it was. 
what are your thoughts um, on the bill and Orlando Mars, Mars comments? Sure. Hello? I think Congresswoman Omar did not do with Hello? justified the statements and that we need more uh, Congress people to stand up and make statements like that and, and, and speak truth to power. That, that When you go against something as powerful as the Israeli lobby or APEC, um, you know, you're really at war then with your own party. You're at war with your own, um, <clears throat> with your own two-party system. You know, that's really something that's going to make So I'm really excited to I'm having a hard time hearing you right now. I think the connection isn't great. There's no way around what Israel and I, I, I do think that. So I think, what I think there's enormous walls and restriction of where they can go, restriction of movement, and on top of that. Um, Ian, I'm having a. Uh, I think the connection is breaking up right now. So, so I think right there is where I Okay, I can barely hear you right now. Thank <laughs> you. 
that one of his defense secretaries said about but it's why, why are the offensive things you would say that you'd expect to get out of the mouth of Trump at Twitter at 2 a.m.? And yet we don't sit around and say, oh, you know, Trump is American. I think there's a, a decent consensus in the book you could attack the government and say, well, if there's something to say something's doing wrong, something's ordering the West wrong, but I'm still pro American. But for some reason, uh, I think there are a lot of I think your connection is breaking up. Um, okay, I think your connection is not great right now. Okay, okay. Say, say it one more time. I'm sorry, my, my headset cut For out. For a little while, your your connection was breaking up. That's we. That's I'm, okay. I'm sorry, my headset went off. I apologize. Now. Um. Anyways. Uh, Do you need me to to, to repeat any of what I just said? The basic point that you made, real quickly. Sure. Yeah. No problem. I guess the 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 basic point is that um, <clears throat> what um, Congresswoman uh, Omar said was uh, not at all offensive, and I I find it offensive as a Jewish person that uh, simply criticizing the Israeli government and um, APEC is somehow anti-Semitic. I think that's just wildly offensive on its own. Uh, you know, there are Jewish. Uh, uh, groups that are uh, very much against what Israel is doing, uh, such as Jewish Voices for Peace. I think there are uh, Jewish groups that are, you know, uh, you, Jewish Americans have very different opinions about what's going on in Israel. Um, we don't all think one way just because APEC says so. And I think just painting everyone as anti-Semitic is, is what I find truly offensive. Uh, so I do hope that um, uh, Congresswoman Omar finds some more allies in Congress on this issue that unequivocally back her. Uh, I applaud, you know, Bernie Sanders for sticking up. I think it's uh, important for uh, other Jewish Americans like myself to continue to speak out and support her, because I also think because she's a Muslim American that, um, you know, there's another aspect to her comments being deemed as offensive and anti-Semitic. So uh, I think we have to stop this. We have to rethink our policies on Israel completely. We have to, if we're a friend of Israel, we have to hope and, 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 and help Israel understand that it has to go to a more peaceful administration um, and, um, you know, condemn the Netanyahu administration as we would condemn the Trump All administration. Right. Uh, why don't we move on then? Uh, so recently this week, there were a bunch of major 2020 presidential election announcements. Uh, former Colorado Governor John Hickenlooper announced in a campaign video that he will indeed be running for the presidency in 2020. Hickenlooper previously served as uh, Colorado's governor from 2011 until 2019. Before that, 
He was mayor of Denver. We also know three Democrats that will not be running uh, in the 2020 presidential election. Jeff Merkley announced in a video, Senator Jeff Merkley from Oregon announced in a video uh, that he will not be running uh, for uh, president. Uh, Merkley was heavily rumored to run after he was the only uh, member of the U.S. Senate to give his superdelegate to Bernie Sanders uh, in the 2016 presidential race. Um, however, Merkley also uh, has a, an election of his own uh, in 2020. His seat uh, will be up for re-election uh, in 2020. Um, uh, he's announcing that he won't run. Um, um, and we also know that Michael Bloomberg, the former mayor of New York City, who was once a Republican and once an independent, now a Democrat, um, he is also saying uh, that he will not run for the presidency in 2020. Uh, he constantly flirted uh, with the idea, but he is saying now that he is he's ruled that idea out. Uh, another major Democrat saying she is not going to run is the Democrat, uh, the Democratic nominee in 2016, uh, Hillary Clinton. Uh, she has said uh, she is uh, she's done with politics and she's not going to run for president again in 2020. Um, and we also know that Senator Sherrod Brown from Ohio, who is considered to be potentially um, one of the biggest candidates in the field, also saying he will not be running for president, saying that he wants to focus on the Senate. Um, and also on the libertarian side down the ballot, uh, a Republican congressman, Justin Amash, uh, has said he's not ruling out the possibility uh, of a run for president on the libertarian line. Um, Bill Weld, the former governor of Massachusetts, was heavily rumored to run for the Libertarian nomination after he was Gary Johnson's running mate in 2016. Um, but of course, now he's saying he, he said he's going to try and primary Trump for the Republican nomination. Now Amash, uh, who is a Republican congressman from Michigan, but has been um, extremely critical of the president thinking of running on the Libertarian line himself. What are your thoughts on all right. these announcements? Uh, well, first of all, I actually think it's fantastic. I, 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 I'm one of those people that think that uh, a, a multitude of candidates running all across the spectrum is going to really attract more voters than ever before. The, the name of the game, I think, for the American system in general is to increase voter turnout. Uh, when you have so many different candidates running, so many different areas of the country, so many different issues that they're focusing on, that's going to say, you know, um, you know, that's going to make uh, a, a really wide appeal for very different, many different issues, many different regions of, of why people should come out and vote because their candidate will be on the ballot with their personal issue and they'll get excited to actually show up to vote maybe the, for the first time ever. So I, I, I truly think it's wonderful. Um, I do think it's good that you're seeing um, <clears throat> some Republicans, uh, I, there's no polite way to say this, I guess grow a spine and run against uh, uh, President Trump. And President Trump is uh, absolutely atrocious. 
Uh, even if you're a strong Republican, I, I cannot possibly imagine how you could still support this man at this point. Um, I, 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 I flip back and forth every day between thinking that Republican Party is stronger than ever. The Republican Party is about to disintegrate because of Trump leadership. So, I mean, I, I don't know where that's going. I don't know the Republican Party very well, but I definitely wish them all well if they're going to primary Trump. That's a fantastic idea. Um, even even my own governor here, uh, Governor Larry Hogan, who I ran against, uh, don't agree with him on issues, but agree with him if he's going to primary Trump. It's a fantastic idea. Um, on the libertarian side, I'm really excited about that. I think you've got uh, Adam Kokesh, who I've, I've, I've talked to before. He's a good guy. Uh, really interesting libertarian ideas. I uh, can't wait to d- debate him. Uh, John McAfee, who's fan- you know really interesting guy, really interesting ideas. Uh, a little bit of a maverick, but uh, you know I think it'd be great to debate someone like that. Um, <clears throat> and um, you know uh, Justin Amash, I wasn't aware of, but that that um, sounds good to me. You know, um, uh, on the um, Democratic side, uh, I, I I do think that uh, you know. Um, I do think that 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 if if they can get it right, if they can truly make it fair and equitable to have a couple of different debates with all the candidates in it that are running, that I do think they would attract a new level of participation into that party. And I, I say that, you know, despite the fact that I'm a different party, um, but I don't I don't hold my breath for something like that. I do think at the end, um, you know, the, the folks that I saw calling for um, Michael Bloomberg to get into the race were Democrats who didn't really care that he was a Republican. They just cared that he was a billionaire and they wanted to see billionaire versus billionaire, Trump versus uh, Bloomberg. I, I, that was, I just looked, I, I thought that was the dumbest thing I've ever heard. I mean, I real, I, there's no, no polite way for me to say that. Billionaire versus billionaire is no way to run a democracy. <laughs> I think people should be able to run whether or not they are billionaires. Uh, I'm, so, um, I, I, you know, I, I think the Democrats are, are making their own bed if they're calling for someone uh, very moderate to get into the ring against Trump. I, I just feel like that's a terrible idea. I do think there are some great candidates running uh, in the Democratic Party. I really like Andrew Yang because he's one of the few candidates talking about a universal basic income. A universal basic income should be front and center in this 2020 cycle. We have to talk about it. We have to bring it up. It's a fantastic policy proposal. It's time has come. It would abolish poverty. So I, 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 I support the proposal 100%. Uh, Bernie Sanders, obviously, uh, you know, I think he's got a really big fan base. I know they're very excited to see him run again. Uh, seems to be doing pretty well so far. And Elizabeth Warren, I feel, has also become really um, been sort of the, the reform capitalist firebrand recently. Uh, just today, talking about um, breaking up Amazon and some big tech companies. I think those are great. Uh, you know, if we were back in the 1920s, <laughs> You know, before the Great Depression, those are those are those are great ideas. Uh, you know, trust busting and that kind of thing. You know, over here in the Green Party, I'm trying to bring us into the the age of uh, of anti capitalism and socialism. You know, we want to nationalize those industries. We want to take them over. We want to make them more equitable and equal for everyone. Take the profit motive out of a lot of that stuff. Uh, you know, that's sort of the way we tackled climate change and some of the biggest issues that we have today. Uh, so, I mean, uh, you know. Um, I'm happy to see the debate in other parties, but I'm, I'm more eager to get out there and actually start debating folks uh, in other parties and actually start, you know, really uh, going toe to toe on different ideas. You know, you know, anti-capitalism versus reform socialism, anti-capitalism versus uh, libertarianism. I think that's going to be a really great debate. 
And so, you know, we're out there trying to, you know, contact some of these other candidates and, uh, you know, get some stuff on the books and, uh, you know, check out our website because we will have some stuff to announce pretty soon on that. Um, Why don't we move on then? So it looks like in spite now in the during the 2018 midterm elections, Republicans did gain more seats in the U.S. Senate. um, But it looks like that doesn't matter when it comes to Trump's national emergency declaration. Uh, Senator Rand Paul, Republican from Kentucky, has announced he will break with his party and will vote to condemn uh, the national emergency declaration uh, declared by President Trump. That uh, means that 54 Republicans um, out of the 53 uh, that existed uh, will um, denounce his emergency declaration. Now, it is unlikely uh, now, Trump, this will probably lead to Trump's first veto. Um, most likely, uh, uh, the Senate will not have enough votes to overturn Trump's veto because you need a two-thirds majority to do that. Uh, very unlikely you're going to get that. Um, but it does show the division uh, in the party. So uh, what are your thoughts on the Senate? voting to condemn Trump's national emergency uh, declaration to try and allocate money for his proposed border wall. Yeah, I I really like the way that you phrase that, because um, I think that more and more you're seeing people wake up to the fact that the Senate is a bit of an unequal body. Uh, It doesn't give proportional representation based on population and you know people can't just self-select to uh live in the middle of the in the middle of a of 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 certain areas because they have jobs because they have families because they have certain areas they lived all their life they can't just uproot themselves move to a certain area just to say okay we're going to make things more equal so i mean you know uh that's sort of a long way of saying that we need electoral reform in this area we need proportional representation um, uh, akin to what they have in Europe, uh, where uh, you know you could see more minor parties get on there, you could see more accurately representing people uh, uh, that that are voting, and I think the Democrats are doing this a little bit with their call for the popular vote to supersede the Electoral College. That's a really great baby step, but while we're tinkering with this, why don't we just tackle this head on and 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 change our government a little bit more to make it way more equal with either instant runoff voting, a proportional representation, or, or something else, maybe even more radical than that. And I think that's a great conversation that we should be having that we're just not. You know, I think you're seeing the, the, the stop and the start end on, well, we're going to do, um, you know, a popular vote, and that's enough, and done with the segment. And I think we got to go a bit further on these new cycles that I'm seeing. Um, so, yeah, um, <clears throat> I do think we're kind of stuck. Uh, you know, I'm hearing from legal experts that it's a good thing that, you know, we're going to get a vote on this anyway, because it will still take away some steam from Trump uh, when he goes to court inevitably over this. Uh, but, um, you know, ultimately, I think this is a pretty dire consequence of the two party system. Uh, you know, uh, you know, one party was in power for about two years there and the consequences were horrible. And I think that what you saw at the end of the Obama administration was just his sheer frustration with the Republicans just not allowing him to do anything that he just started to say, you know, famously what he's got a pen and a phone, he's going to use it. I mean, you know, so now Trump's saying, Oh, I've got a pen and a phone. And, you know, I've got two phones on my desk, you know, like it's, it's just, 
this is this is a no win situation for the country when we go down this path of uh, uh, needing to do things by executive order and can't build you know any sort of interesting consensus. And I, and I do think there's a, a fallacy here, like oh well, if we just have more moderates. We'll get more consensus. No, I don't think that's true at all. You've got other governments all around the world, socialists and anarchists and libertarians and uh, moderate Christians and pro-democracy advocates get together in their in their parliament or in their chamber of Congress, and they vote on stuff and they have a great debate. And we lose out on that here in the U.S. We don't have the participation from anyone that would consider themselves the fringes on the left or the right. And we have this giant group of moderates. And, you know, I don't think they're getting anything done. So, um, yeah, I, I think this comes down to electoral reform. I, I'm glad that we have a Supreme Court that will hopefully weigh out on this and go the right way. But, um, you know, I think this is sort of a weakness of now, the system right now. Um, in the off chance that you do win the presidency, um, if, like you say, happens, uh, a major scandal rocks both parties, there's a low turnout from both sides, and you end up winning uh, the presidency – um, and uh, you, let's say you try to push more environmental regulations or more anti-capitalist legislations, um, and they fail in Congress, regardless of who controls the House and the Senate uh, uh, after 2020, um, do you, how, how, how would you go about uh, passing those legislations afterwards? Uh, would you... Uh, do you believe that that would be a necessary circumstance to declare an, a national emergency, or do you believe that um, there there would be other ways you'd go about it, or do you think there's nothing that can be done? Well, this is this is a fantastic question, um, and, and it's, I'm going to answer it in two parts. So, one is that a victory for us uh, looks like getting local greens elected and some states uh, delegates elected that's what a victory looks like for us um you know you know uh, the, we we have to participate in the presidential election uh due to some quirky election laws such as what they have in illinois uh but um we can we 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 can use that opportunity because let's be honest the only time you see a green on television is really when they run for president we could use that opportunity to get on on stage and then make some comments and, and push some lower ranking greens uh, to victory all across the country in, in the local areas where they have a one party system and it's very stagnant, like in Baltimore City. So that's sort of one that that that's sort of our objective here. Our objective is not to win. Um, you know, um, I, I don't intend to, to 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 get in the way of anyone who actually has a chance of stopping Trump. I'm going to make that really clear as well. Uh, so the other side of this is um, where do we go if I actually was to win? That's a great question. So one of the reasons I do want to focus on down ticket races is because we do have to have, uh, uh, you know, a, a mass uh, raising of consciousness movement in this country. We do have to, you know, socialists call it, you know, uh, you know, you know, raising a working class consciousness. You know, if you work for a living, if you're not a billionaire, you're, you're working class or you're poor. And you've got to, you know, recognize that you've got more in common with someone that lives, uh, you know, downtown Baltimore um, who maybe on social services than you do with someone who's like Elon Musk um, as nice a guy as I'm sure he is. Uh, you're not going to be a billionaire. Most of us aren't going to be billionaires. It's time to, you know, get our heads together and, and come up with a different form of the, uh, economics. Now, <clears throat> that being said, on our website, one of the first couple of platform points that I put out there are things that a president could do day one because of the power of the presidency. The most powerful thing the president can ha has at his disposal is that he is the or she is the commander in chief. 
And it's really important that people understand that and get that out there because I think so many candidates, even ones that I like, are just talking and talking and talking about policy proposals they're going to put out there that are going to get mired in Congress. That's, and that's not the right way to go. You could do a lot of things using the office of the military. And I think Trump is, is, is showing that. Trump wants to say this is a military emergency, security emergency, so he's going to try to build this wall. Now, if this wall actually goes through, I think that you've got a good chance of a Democrat. Well, then I think a Democrat should come in. Or I think Democrats, if they were smart, would come right after that and declare a climate emergency. That's what I'd like to see. Uh, but that's certainly something that I would do if I was president. I mean, there would be a number of different emergencies that I would clear, declare. But I would also use the power of the military to um, open up some new programs people haven't thought of before. So, for example, why can't if someone went through the Peace Corps we take away all their student loan debt. You know, the government just pays it back. Uh, you know, uh, maybe we could have um, uh, 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 gr grossly expanded uh, Army Corps civil engineers to the point where, you know, we've got a, uh, a training program and a jobs program that's rebuilding our infrastructure in the U.S. through the military, uh, immediately demilitarizing our bases all around the world, bringing folks back home. They're having putting them more here to, uh, to, to, to take care of our failing infrastructure. So there, there's so much of the Democrat uh, that the, 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 the president could do day one. Um, I don't think you're going to see a Democratic candidate or Republican candidate admit that. <clears throat> I think Trump's sort of a novelty that he is uh, going to use the uh, powers that he has to go that direction and uh, um, try to um, use his office the best he can and go around the Congress. Um, but that's something that I would do from a socialist perspective. It's something that I would do from an anti-capitalist perspective. Um, you know, a, you could tackle the student debt crisis uh, through the office of the presidency, through the powers of the presidency. Um, we put a couple of different policy proposals up there. I, I let All people right. check them out. Um, why don't we move on then? So um, the, obviously the presidential race is going to happen uh, in 2020. But don't forget about the... Uh, the congressional uh, or, or the Senate races as well, because Democrats would really like to take back the Senate. They need uh, three uh, seats uh, to get back the Senate if they win the presidency, because then a vice president, then that would lead to a 50-50 tie and Democrats, a Democratic vice president would break the tie and that would make Chuck Schumer majority leader. Um, if Donald Trump wins re-election, uh, Democrats will need four seats to get to a 51-49 uh, majority. Um, and right now we know that Chuck Schumer, uh, he acknowledges that Texas and Kansas are going to be long shots, um, but he still believes that there are certain candidates that can win there. Uh, last week on the show, uh, we had uh, Seema Hernandez, one of the mm -hmm. uh, candidates running uh, for Senate, um, who, uh, who up, who in the primary, she ran in the primary in 2018 and she, uh, uh, she came closer or she won a lot of the counties near the border area, despite going up against Beto O'Rourke, who is an extremely popular Democrat. Now that Beto O'Rourke is not running mm -hmm. for Senate, probably to run for president, um, Chuck Schumer is apparently needing, uh, he's apparently met with MJ Hager. Um, who was a candidate for the U.S. House of Representatives uh, in 2018. She was also a, she's also a retired Air Force major. He's met with her to possibly run in that race. 
Um, we also know uh, that he's met with uh, Barry Grisham, the former U.S. attorney uh, in uh, from uh, Kansas, about running in the open seat that's uh, being left vacant by Pat Roberts, uh, the Republican. Um, he really he acknowledges that that's a long shot, but he'd really like to win there. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the Iowa race, this is a race uh, Democrats uh, would really like to win. Uh, Joni Ernst running for a second term. Um, Liz Mathias, yeah. uh, a, a state senator, apparently has met with Democrats in the Iowa Democratic Party about potentially uh, running to unseat um, Joni Ernst in that race. Um, and then uh, we also know um, in New Hampshire, this is a state where Republicans actually would like to make a um, a pickup. Um, Hillary Clinton won it by less than a point. Um, uh, right now, Janine Shaheen running for re-election. Um, William L. O'Brien, the former Speaker of the New Hampshire House of Representatives, has apparently started an exploratory committee uh, to run for Speaker of the New Hampshire House of Representatives. What are your thoughts on all these candidates running for Senate? And are there any Green Party candidates you could see winning uh, in the United States Senate in 2020? Well, in the Senate, um, no, I mean, I don't want I I don't want to I don't want to put that out there that um, I, I have not heard of a Green Senate candidate at this point. Uh, certainly not one that has a, a, a good shot of winning. I think in Congress in 26, 2018, we had a, a, a excellent, uh, we had a couple excellently run races in um, California, uh, one by uh, Kenneth Miha, another one by Rodolfo, oh, forgetting his last name right now. Um, and I do think that there's a big opportunity. Uh, to uh, look at those uh, congressional races for the Greens and see about picking up some seats, uh, I, that's, that that is certainly a possibility that I'm I'm I, I, I'm I'm championing. Um, so I do think Congress is a possibility for the Green Party. I wouldn't say I, I don't want to say never, but I don't know about any Senate candidates. But I think on the Democratic side, and I think, you know, from, from my perspective, because, you know, as a socialist, I, I do hear a lot from the socialist Democrats, uh, you know, Democrats that are socialists, I should say. Um, and I believe, I, I hope I'm not mistaken on this, but I believe uh, Ms. Hernandez, is it, from, Cal- from, from Texas that you're talking yes. about? Yeah, I believe that um, she was endorsed by the DSA. I, 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 I know she was endorsed by Our Revolution. Um, but I think she might have been endorsed by the DSA, or at least there were a lot of socialists excited about her campaign. Now, for me, you know, there's a big difference between a moderate Democrat getting a seat <clears throat> and one that's very clearly socialist, an enormous difference. That's the difference between getting Medicare for all. That's the difference between getting free college, the difference between getting, free, uh, you know, uh, uh, demilitarizing, uh, you know, the U.S., hopefully. Uh, you know, there, there, there's enormous differences between any Democrat uh, you know, and, and uh, I, I do like some of the sayings coming out of uh, some of the Democrats that I hear, you know, not any blue will do. That's important. I mean, in this age of Trump, I think there's this immediate rush to say any Democrat, any Democrat, just push any Democrat in. 
And, you know, if there's a moderate Democrat that's just a tiny bit better than a Republican, what I, I'm not I'm not getting the point. I, I, I don't understand it. Are we going to solve the climate change with a bunch of moderate Democrats? I don't think so. Are we going to fix poverty with moderate Democrats? No, I don't think so either. So I, I take extreme issue. I take big issues with, with Democrats that are that are sticking up for uh, uh, Senator Schumer and especially for uh, Speaker Pelosi. I think that if you don't recognize that Speaker Pelosi is the obstacle in the Democratic House to making any real change in this country, then I just don't I, I don't I don't know what 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 Congress you're looking at. That's the one I'm looking at, um, especially when it comes to things like the Green New Deal. Um, I think that you, you got to speak truth to power. You have to admit when your own leadership is in its own way. Um, I, I, you know, it's something that I do. I, I, I know it's a hard comparison to say the, the, compared to the Green Party to the um, <clears throat> With the Democratic Party, but I will say our own leadership does not get in our own in, in, in its way. Anyone can run for office with the with the Green Party. Anyone has an equal shot. Um, you know, we don't we don't you know hedge bets or try to um, put pressure on people to get out or that kind of that kind of nonsense. It's much more democratic, much more open. Um, so uh, I'm 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 not that excited for moderate Democrats. And you know, I'd be uh, interested to see if some socialist Democrats came into power and started going to war with their own institutions of the Democratic Party. And until that happens, uh, you know, until we see, um, you know, uh, uh, a, 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 a caucus, even a small one of Democrats, you know, going out there and saying, no, 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 Congresswoman um, uh, Omar was correct and, and we're gonna put a resolution forth that's anti-Israel, um, you know, until something like that happens, I'm not holding my breath for that party to, uh, to be able to make any real significant change. I think they could undo some of the Trump administration stuff, some of it, but not all of it. I don't, I don't even think I go that far to say they're gonna undo everything Trump did um, and, uh, and turn the country around. I'm, I'm just not seeing it. Um, do you think um, if just, because there is going to be a Senate race in Minnesota, do you think that there's a possibility that Jesse Ventura uh, if he were to run because he was the former governor and he is currently a member of your party, uh, could have a shot there if he ran? I mean, I'm hearing a lot of different things about uh, former Governor Ventura um, a, a lot. So I, I really don't want to speculate on that at all. I'm hearing that he may run for president. I'm hearing that he may run for Senate. I'm hearing that he's not interested at all. So, I mean, I'm going to let him speak for himself. Um, I completely and 100% welcome him into the Green Party primary if he chose to come against me uh, or anyone else running. Uh, I, I think that would be great to have him on the debate stage with everyone else. Uh, I would definitely love to see him run um, for any position that he would pick, including senator. Um, I, don't, I definitely cannot say I agree with him politically 100%. Uh, but I, I, I have seen a lot of his work and I, I don't necessarily um, um, disagree with it. <laughs> uh, it's just not socialist like I am. But, uh, you know, I think that he's coming from a different perspective, a more independent perspective, and he could certainly shake things up. Uh, you know, I, 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 I guess I'll leave it. There. Well, I do want to say I'm not a fan of this idea of a celebrity coming into the Green Party. I think we, we've had that happen before. We had Roseanne Barr go up against uh, Jill Stein, and Jill Stein won. And quite frankly, I think if you look back at Roseanne Barr's comments recently, and even back then, 
I think that was the right move. So I think the Green Party has a history of making sure that we're not just running after celebrities, we're not just picking the person with the biggest name recognition, and that we're actually doing our homework, looking at the issues, and making sure the right candidate is chosen. And I think that's why, you know, we don't have people like Roseanne Barr in our party. Um, all right. Um, uh, going on to the next issue. So Senator Martha McSally did admit, uh, or she has said recently that she was sexually assaulted uh, in the military. Uh, the freshman uh, Republican senator um, who served in the Air Force uh, is uh, saying now that uh, she was uh, that she did go through that experience in the military. Uh, she talked about that uh, during a forum uh, uh, in the Senate. She she uh, she revealed that. Uh, what are your thoughts uh, on her coming out about that? You know, I I, I did catch some of that um, that, um, that 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 exchange, and I think that. I believe it was her, some of her comments that she made regarding the hierarchy of the military and how if your only resort when you're a a victim of sexual assault is to report it to your commanding officer who may be part of the assault themselves, that's 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 an amazing problem. And I've heard the military officials for a long time say, oh, we have a hierarchy, we have an internal chain of command, let us stick to it. Don't bring out, don't bring in an independent agency. Don't bring in uh, outsiders into our process where the military. And I, I feel like that that's that's a really incorrect process. It's really the wrong way to go. Um, I think it, it's high time to change that. Uh, you know, I feel uh, terrible for the for the survivors of sexual assault that were uh, at that um, congressional hearing, and for and of course for her as well. And I, I it's very brave for her to to, to come out and, and and make that comment. And I think that, you know, um, survivors should definitely lead the way in calling for an independent agency um, outside. I I would say put it outside of the military system entirely. Um, It could be under the office of the president, the president's commander in chief, um, but but doesn't have to be within the military itself. Um, It could could be adjacent to it. And, you know, that organization's in charge of treating these uh, uh, situations very seriously, making sure that um, the survivors are are heard and, and moved to a safe um, <clears throat> to a safer position, because oftentimes I, I really enjoyed what they had to say. I mean, it was horrifying to hear, of course, but I think they made some excellent points. If if you're accusing a commanding officer or someone you're serving with of sexual assault, and um, you know word gets out about that, and um, you know uh, people that believe the uh, perpetrator are now uh, working with you every day on the front lines of the military, supposed to have your back. And they're upset with you, frankly, because they think you're fabricating a bunch of tales about someone they like. I mean, that's just no position for someone trying to defend our country to be in. Uh, you know, obviously, I have a lot of thoughts about the military and how it should be changed to a more peaceful agency. But I mean, if you're in a war zone, you, you cannot possibly be thinking about that. You have other things to focus on. So I think that that congressional hearing was really enlightening. And, um, you know, I think we need to see more hearings like that and then get to some real, real, uh, real solutions. I, I frankly think that's, that's a, that's a nonpartisan issue. I think Donald Trump could do that tomorrow if he wanted to. And, uh, you know, my fingers are crossed for someone to make it make to do that immediately. All right. So, um, why don't we, move, uh, uh, to the next issue. So, uh, recently there was, um, uh, sentencing for Paul Manafort. Uh, Paul Manafort, uh, of course, he got in trouble. 
He was the former campaign chair for President Trump. Um, and uh, it, it's now looking like he will be uh, facing uh, up to 47 months uh, in prison. Um, uh, of course, he got in trouble for uh, the financial ties he had with Ukraine. Um, he is going to uh, serve these. His sentencing is up to 47 months. Uh, initially, uh, the guidelines said he was supposed to serve up to 25 years. However, the judge ruled in Manafort's favor and only gave him 47 months. What are your thoughts on this? So, um, I, I know you might want me to comment on the whole uh, Mueller situation, but I, I'd rather comment on Manafort himself because when I was, um, I was talking to a friend of mine in 2015, 2016, um, you know, and uh, we were commenting on the, on the presidential election and he said point blank to me, he's a political consultant. He's been all over the world. Uh, including to, to 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 Africa and some other countries that uh, Manafort has, has has been to as well, um, and he said to me, you know, Manafort, when Manafort joined the Trump team, he said, "This is over. This is a game changer. Trump's going to win." And I said, "You know why?" And he said, "Well, because Manafort represents some of the most heinous dictators uh, throughout the world. I mean, you're talking, um, you know, dictators." that have committed genocide and, and, and treason and all sorts of unbelievably unspeakable uh, human horrors throughout the world. Um, I, I, I don't have the specifics in front of me. I wasn't, uh, I, I could definitely get them to you, but um, uh, I know from reputation that Manafort was someone that um, I, I really feel, <clears throat> I really feel that um, the media missed an opportunity to expose Manafort to who he was when he was on the Trump team as a, a um, you know, uh, way back when Trump was running for office because hiring someone that represents dictators to run your campaign for president sort of puts into light everything that you're about. Um, you know, I think right, full stop. Tr Manafort is a very powerful guy. He started the law in many countries for a very long time. So I'm not surprised that he was able to get some excellent lawyers and skirt the law once again. Uh, I do think the sentencing should have been. I, I, I would have put him away for life. I mean, to be frank with you, I mean, I'm 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 <laughs> I mean, I'm pro prison reform, but not for Manafort. I mean, the guy is. Um, I mean, he's he's scum. I don't. I, I mean, I don't know what else to say. Uh, Roger Stone, someone else that I think is an interesting version of scum, also on the Trump team, probably also going into prison, hopefully for a long time. Uh, you know, I, I it, it 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 really just is a bit of disbelief for me take the whole Mueller investigation aside, you know, the media just doesn't focus. I, I've, se I've seen like a documentary, I think on stone, but I don't think I've seen anything really on Manafort. And there just hasn't been any real media hype about the fact that Trump is hiring some of the most heinous people in modern history to work on his team, to be in his office, represent him. I mean, these aren't heroes. These are, these are villains. I mean, blatantly villains. And, you know, I, I, I cannot understand for life of me why this isn't bigger media news. Um, I'm glad that it's media news now that he's going away, but I still feel like he's painted as this, like, middle manager of the Trump administration, not as someone who, um, with the full uh, and total past that he has. And I think this plays into Donald Trump's hands. 
I'm sorry to go on about this, but this is really important because Donald Trump even says like, oh, everything they're getting Manafort on, it's all stuff from the past. It's all stuff he did like 10, 20 years ago. It's like, yeah, because he represented dictators 10, 20 years ago. He moved money around in, in countries that were sanctioned 10, 20 years ago. He should be in jail for life. Why did you put him on your team? But, you know, because we don't highlight that part because we're so focused on the Mueller investigation, which is important. And it's all, you know, but it's it, it, we, we should be focusing on the fact that this guy is scum and, and that he should be away from prison forever. Um, but, you know, it, it, it's not my job to make that call at like CNN or MSNBC. I, I don't know what they're thinking over there. All right. Why don't we move on then? So um, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, uh, Congresswoman from New York, um, apparently uh, a conservative group is filing uh, an ethics complaint uh, against the Federal Elections Commission claiming uh, she violated election laws. Um, uh, uh, Cortez has rebuked this, however. Um, she, uh, uh, she linked um, a uh, uh, NBC News uh, claim there was no proof behind this, um, and they talked about that in an article. And she retweeted that with the caption saying, uh, quote, in case you saw the conspiracy theory running around, conservative groups have now taken to spamming us by filling bogus ethics complaints so that Fox News can report on alleged untrue scandals. This is how the, the misinformation machine works, folks. What are your thoughts on this whole controversy? Um. You know, I, I, I actually have not seen the particular complaint, so I don't want to comment on that because I haven't seen it. I will say, though, that I was one of the first Democratic Socialist of America National Electoral Committee members, um, and um, um, we helped uh, get uh, Jabari Brisport the DSA national endorsement, and I believe his campaign manager went on to run um, Congresswoman Cortez's campaign. And I know from working with them personally that the New York folks that were involved with her campaign were absolutely top-notch and did everything by the book, painstakingly by the book. So I would have a hard time believing that. Uh, I also know that you know the FEC process is based on complaints. There's very few time that the FEC initiates an internal audit except maybe if you're taking public funds, everything else has to be done by complaint and they have to go then check into the complaint. So it is very possible for them to be spamming the system, as she says. Um, I just don't know the particulars of the complaint, so I can't comment on it. I have a hard time believing it's true. Um, and uh, I'm, I'm certain that the folks that uh, put her, you know, help get her into office, I, I know a lot of them personally, and I know that they are uh, uh, very, very cautious and very careful with FEC rules. So I'd have a hard time imagining that to be the case. All right. Um, and the last story I wanted to talk about today before we sign off is about the China deal. So um, Trump is now uh, claiming um, that he is nearing a deal uh, with China regarding uh, trade and the tariff war. Um, they are going to meet together uh, or him and the Chinese leader are set to meet um, at uh, his Mar-a-Lago, Florida resort um, very soon. Uh, but many people are concerned that the tariffs could continue uh, past this meeting. 
Um, and they are also concerned uh, that there's also a reason of concern that um, Trump could walk away from the deal similar to what happened recently with Kim Jong-un. What are your thoughts on all of this? I'm so glad that you asked about this because this is such a major piece of news. Um, the way that the Trump administration. So let me let me let me just go back a second, because this is really important people to understand. There is a populist uh, 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 um, idea, a populist idea that protectionist measures such as tariffs are a good way to stimulate the economy. And there are a lot of folks that are socialists, that are reformists, that also mm. see it this way. Um, you know, I, I am not, I, 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 I'm, I'm a bit on the fence about this, and I, and I think Trump has really shown why that that just having this protectionist ideology is not the way to go. And I think that China is the number one example. See, China plays by different rules when it comes to economics. They have for decades, for generations. They've really only recently tried to integrate themselves properly into the, into the monetary system uh, that we have globally, into global capitalism. And to all of a sudden just come out and be hopping mad about steel dumping that China's done for decades, or like patent theft, which is rampant in China, to the point where you're trying to arrest their, their CEOs who are state linked, it'd be like arresting a diplomat. I mean, I really think that we're going the wrong direction with China. And I think that we need to have a better understanding and better relationship with China from a diplomatic and from an economic standpoint. And I don't think that you're going to get that from anyone who is a capitalist. I think you're only going to get that from a, a socialist who can kind of understand the economic realities of China. China is, there are, there are so many people that are against the patent laws in the U.S. who live in the U.S. I'm not talking radicals like myself or like pirate party folks, which is a you know, big part of their platform. I'm talking about like Mark Cuban, who's against the patent system in the U.S. So then to go into China and then to start, you know, jailing their people, because, um, you know, when they come to the U.S., they're, they're trying to steal our stuff. I mean, well, that's just that's just I mean, we are we really surprised that a, that, that a Chinese business is, is, is doing that. And we're really going to like potentially start a war with China because they are trying to build their own version of a T-Mobile robot. I mean, this is just this is just absolutely the wrong direction to go uh, from a trade standpoint. So, I mean, I think Trump may have temporarily won. He may have gotten a really short-term win here because the trade war seems to be downwardly affecting China. But what he doesn't understand is that China doesn't play by the normal economic rules. So if China just says we're going to have years of hardship and we're going to reorient our economy to be more about um, survival and less about trade, uh, I mean, that could hurt the rest of the country for for the rest of the world for, for millennia. I mean, you know, China is a very command control economy. I'm not in favor of a command control economy, but I do understand it because I talk to a lot of socialists that are. I'm in favor of an innovation economy uh, that can be socialist as well. And China's obviously not really that. They're more command. So I think that we're playing a very dangerous game by assuming that China's going to turn around and be like, okay, President Trump, you're a better capitalist than us. We, you, you win. And they're going to give them a trade deal 
even if they do, even if they turn around and give them a trade deal, I think they're going to secretly harbor resentment against the U.S. for decades. And, uh, you know, I, I hope that doesn't, it, you know, it, 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 you know, going to we've got to really look at ourselves in the mirror. I mean, Asia has like billions more people than, than, than the U.S. We are, well, I think we're like 5% of the world population in, in, in the U.S. or we're North America in total. And yet we consume so many resources compared to the rest of the world. I mean, this is what my campaign is all about. You've got to take a deep, hard look at resource management on a global scale, bring in the UN and say, we've got to change. We've got to change what we're doing, not just for climate change, not just for short-term goals, but we have to permanently change our economy because why would other countries not get angry with us that we're taking up so many resources and now their people want to buy Teslas and their people want to buy Lexuses and their people want to buy luxury goods and they're going to, they're going to spend the same amount of money and same amount of fuel, but with 10 times the amount of population in the U.S. I mean, this is a major crisis developing. And I, I don't feel that any presidential candidate to be, I mean, I hate to be bombastic, but myself is giving this the, the proper airtime that it deserves. I mean, we, we've got to completely reorient our economy to make it more fair internationally. We can't be the, the we're not the policeman of the world. We're the imperialist of the world and we're the colonialist of the world. And now China's going to try to play that game right back at us and, and colonize uh, Africa the same way we've done with other countries. This is not good. I mean, this is, we, you know, we live on one planet. We can't blow it up. We can't be fighting each other. And I damn well don't want to go to war with Asia. So, I mean, I think this is just, I, I think this kind of trade stuff, even if it results in a short-term gain for Trump, is just going to doom us nationally, uh, you know, in, in, internationally for decades. We, we've got to have more understanding and we've got to do more. I, I really would like to see the UN take a more active role in trade negotiations, to be frank with you. I know that sounds weird, but I don't think the IMF or the World Bank have, have uh, you know, everyone's best interest in heart. And I do think that the UN could be a fair organization when it comes to trade negotiations. But look on my website. I mean, it's all there. I mean, it's something that we are calling for day one. We want to reevaluate the way we think about economics because it, it, there, you, you, it, infinite growth on a finite planet is just not going to happen. And I think other countries are going to start taking this very personally. And, you know, you don't want to push someone to a corner. Uh, because you don't know when they'll attack. And I, I, I'm very, very nervous about this situation. Very nervous. All right. Ian Schlockman, everyone. Uh, before you go, uh, uh, would you like to tell people uh, where you can be found on social media? Yeah, sure. Well, check out my website, first of all, schlackman.com, S-C-H-L-A-K-M-A-N.com. And then I'm at I Schlackman at Twitter. And uh, Ian Schlackman on Facebook and I'm on Instagram, I think as at Ian Schlackman on Instagram. Or maybe I'm on Schlackman, I don't remember. But, you know, just Google me, you'll find it. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, but, uh, uh, you know, we do put stuff on different websites all the time. And we are planning to do some really great things with the website, including some, uh, um, uh, you know, really amazing platform where you can actually get involved and help craft some of the platforms. So keep an eye on the website, sign up for the newsletter and keep an eye out because uh, we're, our, we're growing fast in this campaign. And I think we're bringing something to the table that you're not going to get from any other candidate. All right. Thank you, sir. And good luck with your campaign. Yeah. Thank you so much, Nolan. Really appreciate you having me on. It's been a really uh, uh, a fun conversation. Well, thank you for coming on. Anytime. You take care. You too. Bye. Truth, justice, decency, equality, freedom, 
democracy. She is a frontrunner for the Democratic nomination for president in 2020. She's been at odds with Trump on multiple occasions. You'll accuse me of lying, so I need to be correct as best I can. I do want you to be honest. And I'm not able to uh, be rushed this fast. It makes me nervous. This is Kamala Harris, and this is her story. The candidates. Donald Trump has got to be defeated, and I intend to do everything that I can with every other progressive in America, making sure that that happens. Their stories. We got a real opportunity to build something. And their fight for the White House. Keep America great! Exclamation point. Keep America great. This is Presidential Profile 2020. At that inflection moment, where were you? This is that moment. It's our job to remind the American people that we're looking out for them. So all of you, showing the country how you do this. The special interests and the powerful have such an outsized influence and outcome to restore our democracy. Kamala Devai Harris was born on October 20th, 1964 to Tamil and Shamala in Oakland, California. Kamala, who is mixed race, is of Jamaican descent. Kamala's name is a Sanskrit word for locust flower. She has one sibling, Maya. The family resided in Berkeley until Kamala was seven years old when her parents got a divorce. Shamala received custody of Kamala. Harris graduated from the University of California. As an adult, Harris took an interest in law. She was Deputy Attorney General for Almeda County from 1990 to 1998, until 2004 when she ran for San Francisco District Attorney. She defeated two-term incumbent Terrence Hoannon. In April of that year, Isaac Espinoza, a San Francisco police department officer was murdered. Harris controversially opted not to seek the death penalty for his murderer. Eventually, Senator Dianne Feinstein, who previously served as the city's mayor, encouraged Harris to seek the death penalty, but Harris still declined to do so. Eventually, Espinoza's killer was given life in prison. Harris founded the Back on Track initiative to get nonviolent drug offenders a second chance. The program was controversial as illegal immigrants were a part of it. However, Republican Governor Arnold Schwarzenegger eventually signed it into law. Harris ran unopposed in 2007 for re-election. In 2008, rumors spread that Harris could be making a run for the presidency. She instead supported Illinois Senator Barack Obama over New York Senator and former First Lady Hillary Clinton. We have now, in particular, a nominee uh, in Barack Obama. In 2008, Harris announced her candidacy for Attorney General of California in 2010. She faced off against Republican Los Angeles District Attorney Steve Cooley. A favorable year for Republicans made the race down to the wire. On election night, Jerry Brown defeated Meg Whitman easily in the gubernatorial election, and Barbara Boxer took down Carly Fiorina in the U.S. Senate race. This gave Harris a slight boost. On election day, she defeated Cooley by a narrow 46-45% to 45 margin. As Attorney General, 
she took a more tough-on-crime approach, supporting the death penalty more often and enforcing strict anti-prostitution laws. I've been consistent my whole career. Um, my career has been based on an understanding, one, that as a prosecutor, my duty was to seek and make sure that the most vulnerable and voiceless among us are protected. And that is why I have personally prosecuted violent crime that includes rape, child molestation, and homicide. In 2014, Harris ran for re-election and faced off against former California Deputy Attorney General Ronald Gold, who ran as a Republican. She beat him by a comfortable 57 to 42 percent margin. In 2016, Harris was rumored to be chosen as the running mate to former Secretary of State, former New York Senator, and former First Lady Hillary Clinton, who was running on the Democratic line for president against Republican New York businessman Donald Trump. However, Harris declined the opportunity, instead running for the U.S. Senate seat left vacant by retiring Democrat Barbara Boxer. Harris faced one Democrat in the general election, Congresswoman Loretta Sanchez. Harris defeated Sanchez by a landslide 61-38% margin. Upon joining the U.S. Senate, she became a harsh critic of President Donald Trump. She came to promise for her scathing questions towards Trump cabinet picks. But if that parent has a four-year-old child, what do you plan on doing with that child? The child under law goes to HHS for care and custody. They will be separated from their parent. Just and like so we do question, in the United States so every day. So they will be separated from their parent. In the Senate, Harris supported Medicare for All and took a fiscally and socially liberal stance on the issues. Harris became an instant rising star in the Democratic Party, with many recommending her for president in 2020. And in January 2019, Harris officially made her announcement on ABC's Good Morning America. First elected to the Senate in 2016 after 20 years as a prosecutor, including stints as the district attorney for San Francisco and attorney general of California. And Senator Harris has also been laying the groundwork for a run for the White House. It is great to have you with us on this special holiday. Do you have an announcement you'd like to make? I am running for president of the United States. Well, and, <laughs> and I'm very excited about it. I'm it, very excited about it. You, you mentioned polls showed Harris amongst the top three Democrats nationally, along with former Vice President and former Delaware Senator Joe Biden and Vermont Senator and former Congressman Bernie Sanders. Now she hopes to be the first woman president. And I believe for all of us, history will say, and our children and our grandchildren will ask at that inflection moment, where were you? Stay tuned to Politics Weekly every Tuesday and now President Review every Friday for a new segment for Presidential Profiles 2020.